0: Welcome back to the Religions of the Ancient Mediterranean podcast. We're starting a new series here. This series is on ancient Judean and early Christian apocalypticism, but it also begins to delve into apocalypticism throughout the history of Christianity as well. As we'll begin to see already in this episode, apocalypticism has very much to do with end times, has to do with visions of the end and with a particular worldview that existed among some ancient Judeans and most early Christians that viewed the world around them in quite a pessimistic way. Namely, that we're living in an evil age, that this age is dominated by the powers of Satan, and that there's a time that God has planned where God will intervene and put an end to evil, and that this time is any moment. There's an imminent end that's about to come, where God will set up his new kingdom and the sons of light or the people on the right side will go to be with God and those people on the wrong side, on the side of Satan, will go to their judgment and to their destruction. These are some of the ideas that we'll begin to see popping up in the apocalyptic literature in the ancient context and that it's a worldview that continues to exist today. And later on in the course, we will delve into some modern millennial movements that have held these views. What you'll find is some of these episodes are a reworking and editing of lectures I've had with my fourth year class. But the majority of episodes will be me sitting down after I've had that class, three-hour class, together with my students each week. And me in a half-hour episode, hopefully, summarizing what we discussed and also giving you a glimpse into some of the ancient literature pertaining to apocalypticism and explaining where it was that this apocalypticism came from and how to approach apocalyptic literature in ancient Judean context and in early Christianity as well. In this first episode I define apocalypticism. I define three main scholarly concepts that help us approach apocalypticism as a whole. First of all, I discuss apocalypticism as a worldview, as an ideology. Secondly, I talk about social groups or millennial groups, apocalyptic groups that live out an apocalyptic worldview. Thirdly, I talk about apocalypse as a genre of literature that scholars have defined that includes writings like the Book of Revelation in the New Testament, portions of Daniel in the Hebrew Bible, as well as a myriad of other writings that didn't end up in the Bible, but instead are often collected together in what is known as the Old Testament pseudepigrapha. I draw quite heavily on John J. Collins' The Apocalyptic Imagination, which was one of the texts that the students used in this course. Another text they used in this course that we'll be touching on in subsequent episodes on the origins of apocalypticism is Norman Cohn's Cosmos, Chaos, and the World to Come which explores the origins of apocalypticism. By listening to this series of the podcast, you'll gain new insight into not only apocalyptic literature and writings about the end times that existed in antiquity and continue to exist today, but also that you'll gain a better insight into Judean culture in the ancient context and the history of Christianity as a whole, You cannot understand ancient Judean culture, nor can you understand the early Jesus movements without getting some insight into what the apocalyptic worldview is and what it means to express those apocalyptic views within literature in that time period. So I hope you enjoy this series in the podcast. Before we start to approach the question of apocalypticism, and apocalyptic literature and where it came from, which is going to be our focus for about three or four weeks at the beginning. We're going to be saying, okay, where did this apocalyptic worldview come from? It's worthwhile sketching out three main scholarly ways of talking about apocalypticism, identifying what sort of thing we're talking about as we get into the material. As I said to you already, the word apocalypse itself is the Greek word apocalypsis, which is, just means from being hidden. That is an ancient term, and so they had that concept. However, scholars who have started to study Judean literature in the period of the Second Temple period and early Christian literature began to see a commonality that ran across the literature, a commonality of ideology, sometimes a commonality in behavior, and a commonality of types of writings. And so they started to develop a way of talking about all of these things together under the large rubric of apocalypticism. So that's a scholarly term, not an ancient term, even though the apocalypse part of it comes from an ancient term. And you'll see in John J. Collins, the the book you have, the, the apocalyptic imagination that you're going to be reading as you go along, he has a helpful threefold way of talking about it. I'm going to build on that to some degree. You'll notice I use slightly different ways of talking about it. But he talks about, first of all, you have apocalypticism as a worldview, or an ideology. So as a scholar you can analyze the ideology. You have apocalypticism as a type of movement, so you have apocalyptic movements or millennial movements is how sociologists and anthropologists would label these things. So a group acting out on an ideology not just an individual expressing what ideas and what worldview they have, but a whole group of people living according to an apocalyptic worldview. And then the third main thing is apocalypse as a type of literature, as a genre of literature. This, too, is a scholarly construct. So let me go through each of these three and say a few more words about them. I mentioned already that this worldview, the first of the three things, the the ideology, our worldview of apocalypticism, first comes on our radar screen around 200 BCE in a somewhat full-blown way so that the characteristics that scholars label as apocalyptic worldview are almost all appearing together and converging together in certain writings around 200 BCE. The first part of First Enoch is the one that's from around 200 BCE, where we first get a glimpse of this way of thinking. The way of thinking is this. Let me reiterate it. We're living in an evil age dominated by evil powers. There's a constant battle going on between good and evil, all of this was actually part of God's plan somehow. And God in this plan, even though he has allowed this time of evil versus good, God has determined an end to that whole scenario. Lo and behold, an apocalyptic thinker who holds this worldview says, it's any moment. The moment when God's going to intervene is any moment. It could be tomorrow, it could be today is the most likely scenario for an apocalyptic thinker who has this ideology. When God intervenes, he's going to obliterate evil and set up a perfect (coughs) kingdom where evil is no more. Now, battle imagery is essential to the worldview of apocalypticism, and it's a battle ultimately between two figures with everyone having to take sides underneath it. There's God, and then there's personified evil. Satan, Belial, the devil... There's a variety of different terms used by different authors who have this worldview, who have just a different way of expressing personified evil. Satan was born in the apocalyptic worldview, you could say. The notion of Satan that develops into what we have within Western culture today ultimately was born within the apocalyptic worldview. A further component in the worldview that we just sketched out, is when God intervenes, which is going to be any moment for an apocalyptic thinker, he's going to end this whole battle that's been going on for so long. There's going to be a final battle, in or, uh, literal sometimes for these apocalyptic thinkers, a literal battle between uh, the forces of God and the forces of Satan. There will be judgment usually. So in most cases in the apocalyptic worldview, there's an em- emphasis on judgment. And along with judgment, in most cases, though not all cases, the full-blown apocalyptic worldview has a resurrection. So this is where resurrection also is born, so to speak, within Judean and Christian worldviews. It's within the apocalyptic framework, in the final intervention of God, that there's talk of either some or all of humanity being raised from the dead and judged, along with the judgment of the evil forces. So that your sort of humanity is placed either as uh, having been on the side of Satan or placed as having been on the side of God. After this eschaton, after this end point, when God intervenes, there being a perfect kingdom being set up. So that was the sketch of the scenario of the apocalyptic worldview. Let me just quickly remind you of some of the characteristics of it that were built in there that we need to draw attention to that we need to remember as we continue in the course. First of all, prophecy is standard, that God gives visions, that God reveals things to important people. That's just an assumption behind this worldview. There's another second characteristic of the apocalyptic worldview is a pessimistic dualism. God versus Satan, good spiritual forces, angels, versus evil spiritual forces, demons, beasts, monsters. Good versus evil, order versus chaos, Humans who decide what side they're on, right? Sons of light versus sons of darkness. So it's this constant dualism, twoism, that's a characteristic of the worldview. A third characteristic of the worldview is determinism God has a plan. God has determined how this is all going to work out. This is part of how an apocalyptic thinker, this worldview works. It's, there's an assumption behind it that God has a plan and things are running according to plan. Another element that is a common characteristic of the worldview is the way the mythology works. And that is that what happens in heaven, or in the heavens, is replicated on earth. And what happens on earth influences what happens in the heavens. There's this idea of the battle between God and Satan going on somewhere we can't see is being replicated in a battle going on here between good and evil. Between good people and bad people. So that a historical incident has a a mirror image going on in the heavens, or vice versa. So that was the fourth characteristic of this, this worldview. Another characteristic that comes up again and again is the assumption that there are periods of history. There are ages of history but just about every apocalyptic thinker who has this worldview will think in terms of periods of history. There are seven periods of history, or there are three periods of history, whatever it may be. And then we'll have a way of describing, in the first period it was like this, the battle between God and Satan, in the second period it was like this, and then the third period this will happen. So the idea of periods of history, common characteristic. And along with this idea of periods is the imminent eschatology. So this is a fancy way of saying end time talk. There's periods of history and then an end, which is when God intervenes and in all this other thing that we saw in that scenario I outlined for you. After this eschaton, after this end point, when God intervenes, there being a perfect kingdom being set up. We've already got that in the scenario I outlined earlier too. Right? So that's part of the periodization that we see in the apocalyptic worldview. Let's talk about this second point here, the social grouping. What you could call uh, an apocalyptic movement, or what is called within anthropology a millennialist movement. What we mean by this category, a scholarly category, is a group of people collectively together holding that worldview we just outlined in a consistent way, in such a way that they actually to some degree are living it out. Our two clearest examples of these social groupings living out the apocalyptic worldview from the ancient period are the Dead Sea sect, those who used the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered in the 1940s, and of course, the early Jesus movements. But for now, just let me say a few words about the Dead Sea sect as an example of a social grouping living out the apocalyptic worldview. They go off into the desert, leave civilization, start their own community because they feel not only is the, the, the current age evil and dominated by Satan, or they like to call him Belial, Belial, not only that, but Jerusalem and the priesthood and the temple in Jerusalem are so dominated by evil that we've got to get out of here and go to the desert. So they are acting out together as a group on an apocalyptic worldview. And then when we get to the Dead Sea Scrolls, we'll be able to see this coming out in the writings themselves so that in their community rule in other words in their a document you would expect to have to do with their daily life and what people are allowed to do and aren't allowed to do is just saturated with the apocalyptic worldview. It's just the whole community lifestyle is saturated with the worldview we've just outlined in the previous point there. So this is what we mean by social grouping or collective behavior that's motivated by the apocalyptic worldview. And you can study apocalyptic movements throughout history, beginning with things like the Dead Sea sect and going right up to things like, uh, not that they're the equivalent, but they're also apocalyptic movements, things like the Heaven's Gate and uh, the Waco, Texas uh, Branch Davidians and many other examples throughout history. Let's go on to that third main category that helps us to divide things up as scholars, and that is the apocalypse as a genre of literature as a type of writing. Apocalypse as a type of writing is going to reflect the worldview that we've already outlined. However, an apocalypse as a type of writing may not be produced in a whole group of apocalyptic thinkers. It may just be an individual who thinks they've had a vision in which God revealed to them the the periods of history and how God's going to intervene and bring an end to history. It could be just an individual. So there's times where it's the three aren't all together, these three categories we're working with here. But that apocalypse as a genre is going to have the worldview. And in our course, that's what we're doing. We're reading through apocalypses, examples of the genre, in order to understand the worldview, in order to bring it out and, and get a sense of its characteristics more fully. Let me give you a definition that's from your textbook. John J. Collins And a variety of scholars uh, back in, in the late 70s had a conference together in which they knew that within studying early Christianity and within the study of Jewish literature in this Hellenistic period, that frequently scholars were using the word apocalypse and referring to that as a type of literature, but not clearly defining what they meant by it, just more of a vague use of that term. And so what these scholars did in the late 70s was get together and try and define, okay, what do we agree about how we would define this genre of literature? Let's be specific about it. And so this definition that's in your book on the apocalyptic imagination, Collins' book, page 5, is a, a statement of what they mean by an apocalypse as a genre. So I'm going to read it to you and then I'm going to unpack it. Here's what they say this genre is. So an apocalypse, as we're defining it here, is a genre of revelatory literature with a narrative framework in which a revelation is mediated by an otherworldly being to a human recipient, disclosing a transcendent reality which is both temporal, insofar as it envisages eschatological salvation, and spatial, insofar as it involves another supernatural world. Let me explain what they mean by this. So, and this is what we're working, our working definition of this third, third category, this apocalypse as a type of writing. It's a firsthand visionary account where the content of what is revealed involves both temporal things, as they're saying in this definition, could even be historical things, could be things to do with the periods of history and the end, and also spatial in the sense that the content of the revelation that again is narrated by the visionary, has to do with the heavenly realm. That in the process of getting the revelation from God, that the visionary actually witnesses God seated in heaven. And witnesses how the universe works. And sees how the moon works in relation to the sun. Sort of the mysteries of the universe being part of the content of the vision that that is then recounted in a first-person narrative. So the key there is an apocalypse is a first-person narrative account of a vision. I saw this, then I saw that, then I saw this. With the things being seen most often having to do with the end of the world, or the coming of the end, or the periods of history leading to the end, or to do with the mysteries of the universe. So that's what we're limiting ourselves to when we're talking about apocalypse as a type of literature. The worldview we outlined earlier will always be, to some degree, in an apocalypse as a type of literature, like we've just outlined. However, you will also find the worldview apocalypticism within literature that is not an apocalypse in terms of genre. I already gave you an example without realizing it earlier. I said that the Dead Sea sect has a community rule about members of this community are allowed to do these things and they're not allowed to do those things. But it's saturated with the apocalyptic worldview. It's not an apocalypse in terms of genre. So are you starting to see why these categories are useful? It has the apocalyptic worldview in it, but it's not a first-hand visionary account in which a person outlines what they claim to have seen God revealing to them. But it's always, I saw this, I saw that. First-person visionary account. That's what an apocalypse is. But if we just stop there, there's all kinds of first-person visionary accounts that aren't apocalypses. So the rest of that definition that I fleshed out for you is important to do, to do with the periods of history and the coming end and the secrets of the universe. Now, the reason I say there's plenty of first-hand visionary accounts that aren't apocalypses in this sense is you have prophets in the Hebrew Bible, prophets of both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom that ended up having their writings preserved and, and edited and ended up in the Hebrew Bible that are first-hand visionary accounts. Ezekiel's a good example that doesn't make them an apocalypse because that just is part of the definition of what an apocalypse is we'll understand that more and more as we get into the course but at least we have it to some degree now outlined for us now within this genre that I've just defined for you or that Collins has just defined for us and I've unpacked scholars have developed the notion of two types of first-person visionary accounts that have content relating to the apocalyptic worldview the first type Collins labels, and most other scholars have followed him, historical apocalypse. The second type of an apocalypse is the otherworldly journey or heavenly tour. So we're going to encounter both those types. When we finally get through looking at the origins and the sort of predecessors of apocalypticism and get to an example of these apocalypses, we're going to begin with Daniel. That's an example of a historical apocalypse where the content of the first-hand visionary account has to do with the end times, has to do with the worldview we just talked about, but it's very focused on history, where the vision is a cipher for actual historical kings. So in that case, it's the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, who were the Hellenistic kingdoms at the time that the author's writing, and you'll read through the apocalypse, and there'll be talk of animals and beasts doing different things at different points, if you read very carefully and know the history, you begin to see that the content of the vision as, as it's being given has to do with history. It has to do with what Antiochus Epiphanes did on, in this year. It has to do with what the Ptolemaic king did the next year when he had tried to take over Israel, and etc. So historical apocalypse, where the content of the visionary account is still apocalyptic worldview, but it has to do with history more so than other things. The second main type, otherworldly journeys, where the focus of the content of the first-hand visionary account is a tour that God gives you with an angel being your guide. Actually, I meant to emphasize that earlier. Both types have an angel guiding you and interpreting. That's part of the, genre. That's part of the generic definition here. So the angel is there in both types, both the historical apocalypse and the otherworldly journey. But in the otherworldly journey, it's the angel taking you on a tour. Okay. Enoch, let's take you to see how the sun and the planets work. Some other common characteristics of this apocalypse as a genre of literature that I haven't really touched on, but pseudonymity or pseudepigraphy is very common. In other words, the presentation of the vision is given as though it's to Enoch. Who's Enoch? Enoch is the guy who gets mentioned in one sentence in the narrative of Genesis presenting your visionary account as though it's Enoch, or as though it's Baruch, or as though it's someone well known from the past. Now, there are debates about whether or not this type of writing has a particular social setting. In other words, can we as historians say that the apocalypses we have, the examples of this type of genre that we've just defined, always come out of conflict situations, or always come out of crisis. So this is a thing we'll have to confront over and over again to some degree and ask us ask ourselves because the suggestion has been that these this genre of literature is a product of crisis and relative deprivation to use a sociological term. It's people living in crisis situations who produce these types of writings. I won't answer it now except to say that we need to ask that question as we go through them And I think what we'll find is variety, not always the case. Another issue that comes up with apocalypse as a genre is can we always assume a group behind an individual author? In other words, can we say the group that the author of First Enoch belongs to thinks X, Y, and Z, or do we have to say, well, the author of this passage of First Enoch thinks it? We have no idea whether there's a group. So we can't always assume groups. There's times where it's problematic to assume, you have to ask, what evidence do we have in this writing itself to suggest the existence of other people beyond intended readers, beyond imaginary readers, actual people that this guy hangs out with who think likewise? Is there evidence in First Enoch chapters 1 to 36 that the author of that document has other people that are having interchange with him on this? And can we see a community behind this? I would suggest to you sometimes the answer is no, we don't have evidence of that, and we can't assume it. That concludes this episode. Hope to see you again next time when we delve into the origins of apocalypticism, when we go back as far as 3000 BCE to see some of the component parts that later played a role in this overall apocalyptic worldview.